Hello, welcome to uh, Time to Say Goodbye. And um, we have a special episode today. Actually, it's not. It's special because of our guests, but really we're trying to do a fun episode where we talk about fun things because the news has been so dreary. And this is actually an episode that many people have requested and they wanted us to talk about basketball, which I don't fully understand, but <laughs> sure, you know. We're here for it. We're here for the people. And so we have today as our guest, Vincent Cunningham. Uh, he is a theater critic at The New Yorker and a staff writer there. And somebody I've known for many, many years and, you know, someone who I like and I've always respected, much like Wa Shu. So that, that's sort of the format we're going to do, Vincent, hey, today. Uh, it's good to be here. Thank you just... for saying those things. Welcome. I like you too. You're going to be the fourth. You're going to be the you. fourth host. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, let's just let's just start talking about this now. All right. So that for those who don't know, and that might be a large portion of our audience, the New York Knicks are in the playoffs, <laughs> right? And this is the first time that's happened in a very long time. Yes. And uh, Vincent, you are a native New Yorker mm-hmm. and um, a huge basketball fan as well. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna ask you sort of like the. I feel I feel like ridiculous because I feel like the sixty minutes question. Although I don't think sixty minutes would ever do like a hey the next. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is our this is our test Are audio you, for to, to yeah. Do it. Think so? Yeah, for my for my new gig replacing uh, Leslie Stahl. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Leslie Stahl is like, is kind of amazing at that job. Uh, very good. Um, all right, Vince, are you excited about the next? <laughs> Very excited about the next. It's the best. It's the best thing in the world. Like I, I, you know, it's been a long time. It's been eight years since the last time when we had Carmelo Anthony, and it, it, that even feels like, I mean, in some ways, way longer than that, but also kind of not. So it's just like a weird no man's land of like, it's just this general worse than mediocrity, and and here we are. It's like they lost the other night um, to the Atlanta Hawks last night to the Atlanta Hawks. That hurts, but I'm still there. I still feel great about it. Uh, there's no point where, you're, like, I don't know. I because I, we live in such this weird NBA culture where everything is uh, litigated through your chance of winning a championship. Yeah. I think it's getting a little better than it was, but like certainly for a long time, it was like if you uh, wait. Why is my audio not showing up in Zencast? It's showing up on my end. Yeah, you're showing up normal. You can yeah. see the. I'm, you can yeah. see I'm the seeing wave. your wave right now. Okay, I don't. I don't really care then, because it's it's recording locally too. Um, we're in this era where everybody's like, "Oh, you have to win a championship. You have to win a championship, etc." You know. Yeah. And the thing about the Knicks stuff that's been interesting to me is that like uh, a lot of the people who are big on NBA Twitter who say these types of things who are also Knicks fans. And would say <laughs> if it was any other team, like who cares? They're just gonna be a four seed forever, and you know they're never gonna get better. And the whole point is to win championships. They seem to have thrown all of that out the window. They're just like very happy about the fact that they made the playoffs. Yeah, man. Part of love is hypocrisy. Like they get to do that because you know, because they can. And also, though, like, you know, I hope that we're like moving into an era of just like better enjoyment. You know, it's like let's leave that behind. Like who yeah. cares about like you know. The only person who wins because it's like then you resign yourself to only caring about LeBron and nobody <laughs> like we've all decided that we don't want to do that and that's like this applies across the board like in life right like but um especially in the New York like in the in New York in the NBA we had the strike which is now like how long ago was oh that God. it feels like a yeah. year nineteen ninety yeah. yeah um but you know 
we had that. We had the, you know, the bubble. We've had this weird season. And I think if you really are into the NBA, which I think is part of what's happening, like it's just like becoming a diehards league a little bit. I feel like this rating stuff definitely is more real than people want to admit. Um, but if you like it, you just have to like it, <laughs> you know. And that's what the Knicks are all about. It's just all about enjoyment. The crowd last night at the Garden was like game seven. It was like it was the most. Did you go? No, I didn't. And I just heard it. It was nuts. And I had oh, some wow. friends that were there that were talking, like, were saying that their seats were vibrating. Like, that it was just, oh. like, they were just waiting. You could feel that crowd as it does. Like, you could feel it building and building and waiting and waiting just for them to take a lead when they were kind of two behind, three behind. And then when they finally did, like, the top just went off the place. I mean, too bad they didn't win. But. Wait, so they're still <laughs> in the playoffs even though they lost to Atlanta? Only, it's it's a... Best of seven series. Oh, best so of okay. they lost. They lost this game one. This is such a horrible gendered episode. I'm going to be like, explain this to me. I have I know, a list of questions. It's okay. Let's just go with it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I don't. It's it's been. Um, I don't know. I guess that. I that's the only thought that I ever have about it. It's just that like it seems like it's probably fun to be a Knicks fan right now. And I wonder if it's the composition of the team that makes it more fun. Like, is it more fun, do you think, to have this team where you have Julius Randle, who, you know, I don't know. I don't know how deep people – I'm just going to talk as if everyone knows what I'm talking about. But, you know, Julius Randle is not supposed to be the best player on right. a good team, right? He's sort of a guy who, at best, people thought was going to be a empty stats type of guy um, playing on a bad team, and you know there are all sorts of reasons for that. They think he's short. You know he he didn't really show that much of a passing game that he has now, and uh, his team seemed to lose quite a lot of games, and he was hurt a lot. But is this more fun than it would have been? Do you think if it was like the one seed and you had Kyrie and Kevin Durant? One hundred percent, and that's why you know, despite my talk of enjoyment, the moment we like something happens and we get another superstar, and all of a sudden two seasons from now we'll be killing this team for losing in the Eastern Conference finals or something you know like so that's what's going to happen that's that's the the ride that we're on right now but like not just Julius Randle who like you're right has had a bunch of adversity in his career and he's like sort of been like rescued from this scrap heap but like Emmanuel quickly late draft late first round draft pick wasn't supposed to be as good as he is he has this great personality Derek Rose who has been in, kind of in the wilderness for many different reasons some more serious and 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 real than others. Um, Tom Thibodeau, who like, who like, who knew that he was still a, an NBA coach, right? Like um, there are a lot of people who are getting their redemption in this moment. And I think that's what it is. It's like a bunch of underdogs coming together to do, to, to, you know, let's face it, overperform uh, their, right. their talent. Yeah. Um, Doesn't it feel like it's kind of fleeting in the sense that Rose, <laughs> you know, he's late in his career. Just, just like life. Yeah. 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 But like, <laughs> Thibodeau, you know, they, they were successful this year, but Thibodeau, like he does, has done for 20 years, played everyone 50 minutes a game, and everyone knows like that's not a good strategy in, long, in the long term. Uh, I think I think Julius Randle is kind of has, has a sort of a, Zeba, a Zach Randolph kind of trajectory of being kind of people thought he was a good stats, bad team guy, and then like late in, late in his career, he's, they've discovered he's actually like very good as a first option but you know there's like a certain ceiling to that um yeah but randall's better than randall's season this year is much better than anything that 
Zebo put together. Uh, statistically, is amazing. statistically right, yeah. yeah. But Zebo did get to the it's, finals, I mean, conference finals several. I guess the question is, do you feel like this is like like that 13 season? Like once, like once, you know, like it's like it happens once and then it's over? Or do you feel like there's a foundation? And because the, the other issue you kind of mentioned is with the Knicks, they always probably get too greedy and might try to convert this roster into like trading for, I don't know who's on the market, but some sort of flashy superstar. Yeah. So far, you already hear this stuff. Like it's like the the new hope. I don't know if you've heard it. Is that like the Phoenix Suns like have a terrible season, uh, series in the first round? They they, they wash late. out. They already, they already won a game exactly. <laughs> but the whole thing has been like everybody hoping that Chris Paul leaves uh, this season with a bad taste in his mouth, so that he'll come um, to the Knicks because worldwide West Leon Rosies are like people that he's friends with and they're like Chris Paul's gonna come to New York and it's like no 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 like this is we've thought things like this for it's forget about that um but I mean I think there is a path to like a more sustained thing which probably does to your point have Thibodeau only staying for like two or three more years and then like everybody telling him to fuck off because he (laughs) works them too hard but um I don't know I you feel like it's if it is fleeting if it is fleeting, this is why I'm trying to live it right. every day. You know? I don't <laughs> that's know. Right, that's I don't how know. I feel. Yeah. That's the sense I get from Knicks fans is that, like, it's been so long and this team is so likable. And it sort of, in some ways, fulfills the myth that New York people have of themselves as being, mm-hmm. like, scrappy underdogs and whatever. Yeah. Right? Which is, you know, it's ridiculous. And, but, you know. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. But, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I just kind of people just get caught up in ridiculous things you yeah. know like with with sports fans like, yeah. and then they graft it onto these players that have nothing to do with it i mean just being from boston in some ways right i lived half of my childhood in boston that's basically all boston fandom is you know you see some like potato face like <laughs> red, like hick like trot nixon who like probably doesn't you know does not reflect the politics of anyone in the state of massachusetts and they're like Trots one of us, yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I mean, it's. I feel like yeah, it's, yeah, New Yorkers are particularly obnoxious in this way, and I mean, it's interesting that like this is happening at the same time as, and I know you guys have talked about this, but interesting that this like very like New York, like we maybe we'll have a subway series between the Knicks and the <laughs> Nets, like that that like is happening at the same time as the New York mayoral race. Mm. This like once in a lifetime effusion of like weird tropes about what it means to be a New Yorker, whether it's through Andrew Yang, whether it's like through, you know, whatever it is, like there's like never been a time to be more annoying as a New Yorker than right now. <laughs> it's like, if you want to like lay down several gauntlets about what it means to live here, like this is your Renaissance. Yeah. Like this is the best time ever for you. You could do it in politics and sports. Like it's everywhere. Just for you. It's going to be great. They should, every, every like New York's lifestyle focused magazine from the 90s should come back immediately <laughs> because the audience is going to be there. But what do you attribute that to? That's a really interesting, like why? I think that's actually true. Yeah. You know? I mean, is it the pandemic and all these things? Like who said New York is dead? I feel like only that guy, James Altucher, who was the last time I checked was like some sort of Bitcoin scam. Yeah. Is the only person who actually said that New York City was dead, and then everybody kind of was like, "Oh my God, this tweet exists." Well, it's and then it's, become, it's kind of become a big. It has become a bit of a trope. Um, I was listening to. I'm very sorry. I was listening to Joe Rogan <laughs> because he had on uh, Dave Chappelle the other day, 
And like they spent a lot of time talking about, you know, because like Dave Chappelle, like legendarily lives in like Ohio yeah. and yeah. Um, Joe Rogan has moved from L.A. to Austin, Texas. And the whole like they spent a lot of time talking about um, how places like New York and L.A. are losing people. And it was not because um, of it wasn't even talking about crime. They were talking about covid restrictiveness. Oh wow. And I think that has actually become a trope. It's like you can, you still can't do anything in these cities. Hmm. Da 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 and they, you know, and they're unfriendly and and alienating and blah blah blah. But like people who don't want to pay taxes and don't want to wear a mask for the rest of their lives are starting to move away from this place. And I hadn't heard the sort of New York yeah. is dead thing from that angle. Usually it's been like yeah. either James Altucher or like New Yorkers who happen to write for the New York Post. It's like so Rabba right. Mari is like army of op-ed writers yeah. saying like um, New York is dead because no one will, you know, face up to the crime problem and talk about it. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, yeah. But no yeah. one take radical right wing yeah. Catholicism seriously. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But to your point, commensurately, like the most annoying New Yorkers have taken this as like, Every day they have to put up the fucking I love New York statue in their living room and tell you all about it. It's like enough, enough. You yeah. just live here. DeFaro's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've talked about th- that dude who just like goes to uh, Gristini's every day and talks about it or like um, gets, gets a gets a Russin daughter's bagel every day. That dude, that weird dude. I forgot his name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the yeah. best. Uh, what's his name? James. He's Hunt. like I He's live in Cinderella, man. Wait, I'm just like, how? Like a YouTube guy or what? He's no, he's on Twitter and he's very popular amongst like celebrities like Jane Lynch, for example, or like Brian Williams, like okay. sort of older boomer um, ce- celebrities, and he does these like kind of mis- they're like pretty misogynist like videos where he pretends every time he's being an annoying person he talks like he's like a woman <laughs> you know <laughs> but it's all he's he's fascinating to me just because he exists almost in this like uh vision of new york where he cl- he's not from new york he's from ohio but he's lived in new york for a long time and it's all stuff where he's like uh, ambassador for the city but it's in these ways in which it's like a vision of New York that is exactly what a yeah, tourist would think so New York City yeah. is. So he's like, I love this city. I go get my, uh, you know, in the morning I go to Zabar's <laughs> to get a bagel with locks and that goddamn arugula. And you're just like, oh my God, what the fuck's wrong? He's like, and then I go so to like, my favorite neighborhood bookstore, The Strand. <laughs> it's like, right, right. Or his favorite one was like Labyrinth or Book Culture, whatever the one, whatever oh yeah, it's book called. Culture, that, yeah. You know, and he's like, and, and so he's at, he's at this like, oh, and he's like, I love making coffee in my camera. Oh my it's God, amazing. so and funny. The thing that you're making coffee with is in the moma <laughs> and you're like wow you are so weird yeah and so he, i'm only fascinated with him because i expect him at some point to be involved in some sort of horrendous crime <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he just seems psychotic to yeah. me you know like um <laughs> there's something very dead-eyed about him yeah. but um that it does feel like that's what new yorkers are doing in a lot of ways right now like, around, yeah um, it's like resistance comedy slash new york boosterism it's really weird that's yeah cool. yeah Tammy, what do you think? Is New York dead? <laughs> I thought you guys were going to talk about like how all of the like p- people who are doing better 
than most artists have like left to go to the Catskills or whatever. And in that sense, like, oh, New York's over, like sick yeah. of dealing with all the bullshit down here, especially during the pandemic. So we're going to flee and like buy a house and raise chickens or whatever. Like I've seen a fair amount of that sort of thing, like on the kind of bourgeois yeah. end of things. But you were away for a lot of the pandemic. I was, yeah, in- that's true. I got out. So yeah. Did you notice like a certain, like some of my friends who were away and then came back mid pandemic were, were truly like, Oh, what the fuck? Like something <laughs> happened here that like, and we're like really kind of mortified by how it was. Did you have like a moment, like a reentry moment that was like <laughs> kind of scary? I think I lucked out because, well, the I left like in the end of June. So I like caught the first part of the uprising, which was just wonderful every day. And then I like, yeah. went away. And then when I came back, it was January. So it was mm-hmm. actually felt like, oh, I'm back in my city. Like things had already started Good. feeling normal, you know? So I, I don't know. I missed all the like ups and downs and drama, but I, there's a fair number of people I know who moved out who I don't think are going to come yeah. back. Yeah. Permanently? Yeah. I heard um, Kingston, yeah. New York has there had the, the biggest, like highest, like percentage rise in, in migration. Exactly. Like, in, like the city. Yeah. In, like, in the, sorry, in the country that it's is. It's crazy. Like, like that whole area. Kingston, like, Kingston, New York. Yeah. yeah. Like New Pops. And Hudson. City, like. Hudson, like mm-hmm. that whole area is like, and there's all this resentment, yeah. you know, towards the New Yorkers who come in. Some of it's kind of racialized. Like it's so super yeah. weird. There, there's yeah. an there's an article yeah. at the Poconos uh, in Pennsylvania might like swing blue now because of so many New Yorkers oh, holy shit. moving to the which I thought was <laughs> absurd, but I don't know because I thought they would all move back. But it sounds like you guys are saying some have left for I good. I feel like they'll move. I back. think so, but yeah. who knows? Yeah. The Poconos plotline like, in Mayor. <laughs> big Poconos disclosure in Mayor that really That's just what you, <laughs> blew the top off. The yeah. <laughs> it's made by the. It's made by the. I need to watch this thing. <laughs> what is that accent? I watched accent. like fifteen minutes of that show. Uh, is it don't they call uh, it? Fake? Is it? Is, Isn't it like a Delco? Yeah. Accent? Yeah. Oh, Delco. <laughs> Delco accents. <laughs> the only reason I know about De- Delco is I watched a Dave Portnoy pizza video where he's getting pizza in Delco, and I was like, "What is this Delco?" <laughs> yeah. Um, so Delaware <laughs> County. I've, yeah. one, I've one up your yeah. Joe Rogan embarrassment. Yeah, <laughs> so it's funny. um, it's very funny. Like, there were like five different like magazine pieces about like why this is the best right. rendering of the Delco accent and like oh really <laughs> um yeah but like I don't know it's a really funny I think at some point they're like they must be making fun of us on some level because like they just say water a lot water, yeah. and they also <laughs> <laughs> and there's also like moments when someone when they'll just like very portentously like film a rolling rock bottle yeah. like it's just like a bunch of like there's a moment where it's like, Dunk! like and this is supposed to have like a lot of symbolic meaning like it's kind of like it's they're aware of whatever yeah, they're doing yeah. it's pretty okay yeah there's like wawa in every scene i used to yeah. drink a lot of rolling yeah. rock it was like my standard beer when I was like 19, 20 years old, rolling rock. I don't think I've I, had one since yeah. then. Is it good? I think it's I good. It th- I think it tastes like nothing. I, it tastes perfect. like water. Yeah. Water. Yeah. Water. Yeah. Water. 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 Yeah, at the time. Water. Yeah. Yingling tastes I like something. I switched to Coors Light. Mm. Yingling does Yingling taste tastes like something. Like something. Which is, I don't think it's good. Yeah, it's a, you know, you got to be in the mood, which is to say already drunk. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm like really I've been easing into Coors Light mm-hmm. almost no way. exclusively at this point, but that's just age, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's talk about. The, wait, can we keep talking about this mayor thing and this New York thing because yeah. it's driving? Let's talk crazy. about it. It's the like, stupidest. It's really bad. I think. 
okay, look, there's, I, I feel the need to say that I think that a lot of it is kind of like it, I don't think it's like intentionally racist, but I do think that it's because Andrew Yang is Asian that so much of this stuff gets questioned with him. Cause like, yeah, like how much more for, like he's, he's from upstate where he's, he's from, from like, like Poughkeepsie right? or something. Yeah. He's from like and right outside the city. And, and yeah. And what lived, yeah. Has the house there, but also like lived like, this is why he said like whatever yesterday, maybe that the times square, uh, subway station yeah, is his yeah, favorite. Yeah. Like he lived in that neighborhood for like legit twenty years, <laughs> which is like makes him a psychopath one hundred percent. But also like he is like from there. Like you know this whole authenticity thing with him right. is so weird. So weird. It's so weird, and I know I feel and so, like, like not enough, the point. And there's a lot of people. I, I think that yeah, I do think it's performance, and it has not much to do with him. And I, but you know, and the small part that does have to do with it might be racialized mm-hmm. in some sort of way. But yeah. I also just think that, yeah, there is this weird performance theater now. I never felt that way when I lived in New York, and I've lived in—I don't know—I lived in New York from when I was 23 to 25, and then another year, and then from when I was 31 to no older than that. I don't know, last six years or something like yeah. that. I've never like it's just strange to me, like. Uh, I don't remember it in 2002 being like this. And I, I, I wonder what is, I, I, I think it is like something about uh, people who stuck out the pandemic and went through this position that they yeah. want like a triumphalist narrative. And I actually feel very sympathetic towards that because I think people who lived in New York through the pandemic had like a traumatic time that I just didn't have out here in yeah. California, you know? And maybe that's what it is, but the way it's expressed online is so weird and toxic. It's just like, and it's it's like it never actually gets to some level of interesting conversation. It's always just like about consumer choices, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. I just find it even bizarre. the who stayed and who didn't thing. Yeah. Like, it that's not a real thing. I mean, people were like trying to do what was best for their families. I'm sorry. It's like I, I just I have a hard time getting jingoistic about like you know. <laughs> you went to the Catskills. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh-huh. It, it just makes no sense. Who cares, you know? Um, and, you know, and it's also the fact that a lot of people who stayed, it's not like they were... The people who make these arguments, I should say, the people who are super worked up about it, it's not like they were, like, going outside every day. They were ordering yeah. groceries. Mm-hmm. And right. so it's like, you didn't. You weren't a hero of that story. <laughs> Um, who are the people I, who are making this um, criticism of Yang? It's more, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's a, at least in terms of politics writers, it's a certain kind of... It's, um, it's Twitter, basically. It's uh, Yeah, I guess it's... Uh, and, and maybe this means that it's, it's, it's nothing. And I mean, my mother is like obsessed with like, why is he running? <laughs> because she's <laughs> like, wasn't he just doing... Like, who is this guy? But like, that's different than this like yeah, very yeah. specific like... No, that's yeah, like a real question. I agree with your mom. <laughs> yeah, because you know, like periodically, people have asked me over the past year or four, two years, be like, "Would you like to write a profile?" Oh of Andrew my God. Yeah, Because there's only you know four Asian people that they ask these questions to, and I always am like, "Well, what would I ask Andrew Yang?" And the question is always like, "Well, why are you doing this?" <laughs> you know, and so the the first one was for for president, but then it's like mayor, yeah. and so I did some, I did a little vasking around of why he's doing this. And the best answer I got was that he just likes running for things. And and by the way, I mean, really though, he's, he's, by the way, he's awesome at it. 
Like, I think that's something he that really is awesome. This is something that is like totally underestimated. Like, I find a lot of his ideas. I really don't like any of his ideas. Um, but in, to, to to have run as somebody that nobody knows and to be pretty famous by the end of your presidential run, yeah. that's like a lot of talent. Like, you have to be good at that. Uh, he yeah. has something. He has this amazing energy. Like, I watch him and I get tired. Like, he just walks around in that scarf and, like, talks to every single person and, like, does his thing and, like, can sort of perform this personality every day. And from some of the profiles you read, you can find some cracks in it. There was like, there is a New York Magazine profile of him, I think Claire Malone, I don't want to mess up the name, but. Um, I think it was Claire. Um, and like, he was in a bad mood at the beginning of the profile and you could just tell. And it was like, ah, see, like there is a different guy in there, mm-hmm. but which only makes the achievement that he like has done. He's like, and to your point, Tammy, I think that like, one of the things that he has like figured out is that people do just want like almost like this like booster for like because of whatever trauma and whatever like sort of dark feeling he has decided that that can be a message on its mm-hmm. own like you know he keeps I, he always says help is on the way you know um which i think does <laughs> tap into certain things in the in the new york psyche i mean one of the bad things about new yorkers is that like all this talk about whatever us being like you know hyper independent and whatever like our history is a history of like people from the outside coming in to save us like in the 70s with the the financial crisis that we had like it was like basically every rich guy was like yes we will loan the city this if they fuck over every union and like there was like big moment in the city's history is this like that's the business people have been our mayors truly since then like yeah, that's who yeah, runs the city. Runs that city. <laughs> yeah, and so I do think yeah. that there's something in our psyche that like responds to that, like someone being like, "And well, we can just we can pull it out again." I don't think there's a yeah the the communitarian ethos only really goes so so far. I think. Did you guys see how John Liu called him the Shirley Chisholm of Asian? I <laughs> like, I lost it. I completely lost it. I just can't no, handle the freaking Asian establishment chorus. Now using Shirley Chisholm. Shirley Chisholm. It's been fascinating to see the Asian politicians line up behind him. It's just. Like uh, Ron Ron Kim was like uh, endorsed him enthusiastically. And I was like, Ron, the last time I, you know, you're like the Bernie guy who uh, in Queens, who's like going after Cuomo and, you know, like. Isn't there someone else in this list of candidates that seems like <laughs> so weird? It's completely unexplained. <laughs> but I mean, Grace Meng. Yeah. I mean, Grace Meng yeah. is understandable, She's... but you know, um, he, they also, uh, yeah, but John Liu also said uh, he's our audacity of hope, which is mm. hilarious. That's right. But I think oh, no, he did it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I also think that like. <laughs> But it speaks, though, to the lasting appeal. I mean, I think it's it's pretty explainable. Like, the people that are their main constituents care about them because, like, for yeah. reasons that I guess we would probably simplify into identity politics. And it's like, I'm sure that there yeah. are a lot of people that voted for Ron Kim and voted for John yeah. Liu all those times. John Liu, like, had, you know, was formidably uh, powerful in his, like, runs for controller and stuff. That totally. guy's a great politician. Yeah. And, like, he's responding to something. Um, it's I think true. It, I mean... That stuff still matters. Representation does. It still does. Yeah, it matters. It matters, and I think that, and this is 
why I think the reporting on this race has been so sloppy because everybody's like, and what's the deal with... Mm. Because he represents the interests, on even if only symbolic, of a lot of people who have never been really paid attention to yeah. in our city. That's Fair why. Yeah. And have never, have been, you know, in some ways, you know, you talk about the SHSAT, you talk yeah. about the... Um, uh, the selective schools and stuff have in some ways been the models of whatever we think of when we think about like upward mobility in New York right. and have never really been politically uh, yep. represented in this way. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in some ways it seems very like it makes sense. Um, but this is also why it's such a progressive failure because it's like all of, you know, what, I mean, you could talk it down to de Blasio if you want because de, de Blasio and his school's uh, chancellor were just so dead set on like yeah. being racist to whole swaths of parents and, and castigating them because they wanted to keep in place things that had helped their children, you know? Yeah. Um, but progressives in this city have like not tied that together yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. And so this yeah, is what you get. This yeah. is like the end of a long progressive failure. Mm. Yeah, because it's like right now, I and I don't think that this is necessarily demographic, and we'll see how it actually shakes out when it comes to who shows up to vote in this primary. Because, you know, obviously the voter turnout is pretty low for these things. But I find it really interesting that the two guys who are leading the race, and I'm not the only person who has said that, uh, Yang and Adams, are the two candidates who have no interest in appeasing, like sort of the progressive white Brooklynite. You know? Yeah. Adams says we're Adams came out and basically said basically every like poor, you know, or not even poor, but every immigrant minority in the uh, in the outer boroughs who isn't voting for Andrew Yang is going to vote for me, you know, and that's like and I hope that most of them will end up voting for me, too, you know, and like that's his strategy. Yeah. That's Yang's strategy as well. And like the I don't know who like I guess Catherine Garcia is like the is like the New York mm-hmm. Times endorsed White, candidate moderate would be candidate, that. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and Wiley would be like the, you know, might be the one if she wasn't so associated with de Blasio for the people who are to the left of of Catherine Garcia. But like, you know, both of them have no Morales shot at all. Too you know, like, and... yeah. yeah. Right, right. I mean, what, what, like, had, you know, I don't know, you, of your many talents, a lot, one, another thing that you have done in the past is a lot of sort of like political work, you know, and you certainly know the city politics much better than. Than I do. Like, what what do you think that actually says? Like that that is this like gonna just be the new normal in city politics where people go after the outer borough immigrant populations, or or is it gonna be? Yeah. You know, is there gonna be a day where like people are gonna be like, hey, uh, you know, like what matters is like you know Seventh Avenue and Park Slope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the the, the famed Seventh Avenue corridor. You know, the road <laughs> the road to Gracie Mansion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I think that um, it's a moment of real peril, actually. I think because what Adams has explicitly done that like people have tested out and played with, um, I'm the there was a big thing in Brooklyn with um the city council uh person Lori Cumbo who like represents the area yeah, where Bam and stuff. Right. Yeah, like she has has said things like this kind of maybe less successfully because after coming under fire from some like DSA backed candidates. Um, but it's, it has become a thing. And even Hakeem Jeffries will do this sometimes too, saying like this DSA thing, this like thing that's had some traction and gotten some motion, they've like coded it white very specifically. 
Um, which, you know, on some level it has been, right? If you look at the membership of DSA or whatever. Although the candidates right. that DSA have backed have largely been women of color. Mm-hmm. The people who are in the ranks are largely white. So there is this like tension. Um, Adam says over and over and said, these people that want to, that talk about defund the police, these people that talk about, you know, um, a millionaire's tax, all these things that I'm the real progressive. Mm-hmm. These are white gentrifiers. Um, and so... And as far as I can tell, that's working. Wow. You know, wow. like, I, I think that um, I, I, I think that there is a sort of um, it, it's not even like people dislike them. It's just like that's not even in their purview. It's like Adams is a Democrat. Yeah. And he's a black guy mm-hmm. and he's from Queens. Great story. And he, yeah, he says working class a lot. Mm-hmm. And so why isn't he? Why isn't he? Why shouldn't I vote for him if I'm like, you know, I think people that are not like, I don't want to say ideological, but aren't like sort of, you know, organizing their politics issue by issue are like just, I mean, I think it's very become very easily to do that move. And so I think that like those, you know, whether it's the Working Families Party, uh, which is our sort of fusion voting party that's like coded left, you know, they they backed Cynthia Nixon and Zephyr Teachout right. and people like this. Um, the working working families in DSA like have to figure out something else. I think it will have mm-hmm. to come down to like the issues that they organize on too, not just electorally, but like they need to like start to precision target some of their issue based stuff, which they have been good at. Like they've done really good with the um, tax the millionaires uh, yeah. stuff and housing. Uh, yeah, like yeah. I think they lean, need to lean even harder into housing mm-hmm. and some other issues that um, where they can like be meeting people in Southeast Queens, you know? Uh, and because like right now, Eric Adams just goes from church to church, picking up voters being like, don't listen to these white boys for a second. And right. just like moves right on and it's like working, you know? Um, so that's, it's Yeah, why well, wouldn't that work, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, I, to me, it makes sense that it would work because it's like, I don't know, even with the housing stuff, like my own politics aside, which I think, you know, there should be a lot of reform on housing. You know, I, I think that uh, when you run entirely on housing, you're organized entirely on housing, and you expect that you're going to convert a lot of the people in these areas, which, you know, I would say, like, most of them are pretty middle class, right? Like, so you talk about, like, Flatbush or you talk about Prospect Lefferts Garden or Crown Heights. It's like, you know, it's not everyone there is not living in Section 8 housing. You know, everyone there isn't, like, in fear of eviction, yeah. right? Yeah, like, there's so, a lot of black, like, um, middle-class to homeowners, tr- too, in that area that are, like, very kind of, tr- you know, conservative on, like, policing and stuff. Yeah. Right, so to treat all those people as if they are they want, like, a far-left, basically socialist housing program. Nobody's offered that. that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but if Eric Adams goes in and it's like, hey, you know, like, uh, these dudes who keep shooting off fireworks, I'm going to do something about it. I don't know. It, it's... It's it is I, I agree with you. It's such a, pre- a precarious time for progressives in yeah. the city, right? And, uh, yeah. Because I think also like, you have this guy who failed, <laughs> not failed, but is seen as a failure, despite passing one of the most comprehensive social programs in the city's history that is now being modeled everywhere else. You know, like universal pre-K is like this huge victory, and. Um, I don't know. It's it's uh, yeah. you know for him to be so routine like he should be despised for many of the other things he's done, right? But um, I don't know how much organizing would it take for DSA to get like universal pre K passed. You know, like it's 
It's something it that, a big deal. that de Blasio did. That's a big thing. Anyway, yeah. um, it was a big yeah. deal. I, uh, I, I think that New Yorkers are somewhat like to speak of the '70s again. I think that there is something in like, I don't know, the air here that is just like I think people think of the city mostly in defensive terms. Like they always think like it could turn into a war zone. Mm-hmm. And it could be like the Warriors again. Mm-hmm. And therefore, like, I think those kinds of, like, basically reactionary appeals will always be pretty potent. Like, Eric Adams is just like, I don't know if you've seen the insane video of him. Um, it's like showing parents how to search for guns in their kids, um, in their in their oh, kids' no. rooms. It's like, it's, it's I'll, I, what, after this, whatever, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, uh, it's like, he's like, First of all, know that the the First Amendment and privacy rights don't apply in your house. You can look anywhere you want. And then he like he's like looking into like the piggy bank and like look a pillow like this it can seem soft in the front and in the back there's a gun. And he's like and it, like he's like has guns planted all over this like staged bedroom and he's like look look at this backpack in the back of this backpack look you think there's just gum in here here's some bullets and it's just like wow. and it, but you know these are parents who. Either they're older children or they're like, you know, nieces and nephews from in like a just older generation that came of age in the 80s. Like they still have people in their families that like fell victim to the crack ep- epidemic. And yeah. some you may, may have had kids that have been, you know, gun violence is part of, the, you know, part of their their like recent memory of the, of the city. Right. Um, and so it that that video is hilarious to me. It's really funny. But. It is again, like just like you know, just like John Liu with uh, Shirley Chisholm or whatever. It is responding to something. Like there is a there is a referent there um, yeah. that we have to learn how to like talk about. Um, and I don't. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I'm not sure how. Do you, do you think just to go back to this question of Yang tapping into like the sort of resentment maybe about the way De Blasio handled the standardized testing and all that stuff? Um, so I, I guess, you know, you all are saying that there's like a there's a sense that Yang is tapping into the sense of um, Asian American communities who have felt ignored and that the whole Asian American political establishment is kind of therefore rallying around him. But of course, to win the mayor election, he can't just win Asian Americans. Right. So yeah. like what is is he just also tapping into this sort of like professional upward mobility sort of silent majority that has felt ignored by, you know, Bernie-ish, the Blasio-ish rhetoric over the last few years, or do, like, do what, what? What do you attribute yeah. that to? And does that kind of merge with basically what does Asian American politics mean in New York City? Yeah, I think it, it matters that um, sort of Yang's when he's not uh, talking about the his UBI program, and when he's not talking about just you know New York needs a jolt of energy. His like tertiary message i guess is that he's a business person yeah and that therefore you know his his whole stuff like um early in the campaign he got killed for saying you know that we should have a a casino on randall's island or whatever you know um that you know these business these things that sound ridiculous sort of but have real constituent like this is a pet issue it turned out to be of um one of the guys who's running or helping to run um, Yang's campaign, Bradley Tusk, who is famously a uh, an advisor for for Bloomberg and has a very business friendly uh, vision of the city, um, but the the business community since Bloomberg left has been like um, 
even though they've still been winning and even though de Blasio totally yeah. um, gave in to them, especially in terms of housing um, and basically gave over his gave his housing plan over to uh, the real estate community in, in the city. Um, they have been, I think, trying to claw back whatever sort of, uh, in my mind, like eternal power um, <laughs> since then. So um, there's this uh, organization in the city. It's called the Partnership for New York City, and which sounds very benign, um, <laughs> but um, and is though a consortium of like the biggest mm. um, real estate and business leaders in the city. Um, and they have this they, that this organization is is run by probably the most famous lobbyist in the city. Her name's Kathy Wild, um, and so she you know she ha- she has been talking about we need pro business pro business. That's the way the city works is bringing the let the business community help you know let let us help you you know run and and always with the 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 veiled threat that businesses will leave the city if you whatever if you go forward with asking Albany for a millionaire's tax if you do this if you do that. Um, and so I think that um, their attention has been kind of spread in this race between Yang, Adams, um, Ray McGuire, the uh, former Citibank. Uh, I don't even know what the word was. Oh, yeah. uh, big, big shot at at, um, at Citibank, whose son-in-law is uh, in the NBA. Mm. By the way, Cole Anthony is his son-in-law. Um, oh, not son in law. His his uh, stepson. Sorry, he plays for the Magic. Okay. Oh, yeah, he Cole Anthony yeah, played for right. the Tar Heels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah his, his Greg Anthony's uh, son. Yeah, Greg Anthony's son. Greg Anthony married a pretty high power attorney. Right. And she married Ray mm, McGuire. Okay. Yeah. Cole Anthony grew up uh, wow. sort of in well, in the Upper East Side, I think, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then went to Carolina and was garbage. So. <laughs> um, he looks okay now. I've never now. seen someone shoot more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good now. Yeah. Um, so anyway, and uh, he's like, you know, of course, like, you know, in some ways, um, the if he were better at running for mayor, he would be the like probably the most logical choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in the business, yeah. Or if he like, I mean, what he probably should have done was like Bloomberg, just like run on the Republican line, win it really quickly, and then run a like business like a centrist business campaign against the democratic mm. nominee um but recently he was asked if he would pledge not to do that and he was like no so maybe he'll do that. <laughs> i don't know um so i think yang is b- besides the sort of identity politics angle and the sort of just like weird reddit kid angle he's also <laughs> like i think got some some tacit support from the business community too mm-hmm. i also think it's just like there's something going on where it's He's so good at appealing to normal people, you know, and basically like saying, hey, (laughs) I don't know, maybe kids should take tests, you know, and he's the left is so like the left that he's in opposition to. He picks these fights where the people who are against him are sound crazy to most people. Right. So, um, the in education, obviously, there's just. So many people are triggered every day when they turn on any type of news outlet and they see say see stuff like the state of California is going to get rid of algebra and calculus in high school and replace it with like data visualization, and their expressed reason for it is that black and Latino kids can't do calculus, and then you're just like, like oh that's that's crazy that can't be real, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and then you and then you read the paper and you're like, oh, no, that's pretty much what they said. <laughs> and so then you have this like imp- yeah. you have this massive fear, right, of of that in a lot of people. And then Yang comes out and all he has to say is like, maybe tests are OK, mm. you know, but maybe they shouldn't be. We don't think that the school system should be like this, but uh, should only be like a death march. But, you know test yeah there's you know maybe it's good to take tests and then people are like oh my god you know he's my <laughs> savior oh um, yeah. i don't know i think that's sort of his main political talent yeah. is just kind of like processing things and then he's very good at you know obviously the stuff with israel palestine was like some sort of pre-negotiated thing that he did because of the support that he has from the right. hasidic community the stuff he did about vendors right um like unlicensed vendors was because he had gotten some buy-in from some flushing business guy right and so his tweets are almost like a they're almost like the they're almost like the receipt yeah, of the seriously. payment that people are doing to like give his give him political support <laughs> um and i my thing with him is just like why are you putting out those receipts mm. you know, yeah. send an yeah, yeah. email <laughs> like why are you doing it so publicly yeah. um you know but you know i'm glad he's doing it publicly because we certainly see you know who he is a lot more but it's just weird <laughs> to me it's like you didn't have to tweet that one you know this is just some dude in flushing just send him like a nice basket and an email me like i got your back you yeah know? like why do you have to tweet this and have everyone get mad about the ch- about the churro ladies at the subway again? yeah um um, okay. Um, anyway, back to basketball. <laughs> um, that was a good. That was a good d- aside, and I feel like uh, you know it's very good in your running to have the longest podcast. Uh, dis- mm-hmm. you know, Displace SWAT mm-hmm. at the top. Of the I list. got. I got some more twists and turns for you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Trey Young, who is on the Atlanta Hawks, right, mm-hmm. dropped thirty six or thirty four, and then was doing all this. Like silencing on the crowd. Yeah. It was awesome. I hate that I, was, dude. I don't. I, I'm not a Knicks fan, <laughs> but like he, he was like shushing everyone, oh. and then he did this like shiver thing. You know, he's like, it's getting real quiet in here, and then he was like, I'm so cold, <laughs> you know, and then he was like yelling at Spike Lee. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. And Spike like, Lee is that, looked like is he had that... seen a ghost. It was the worst thing in the world. And like 30 <laughs> yeah. seconds before that, he was so happy he like was literally stomping like yeah. a child. Two feet, oh just like, <laughs> he, was like he was jumping into a puddle. He's like, the most memorable thing in Nick's history for most people who are alive is Reggie Miller in the 90s, right? So mm-hmm. the reason the Knicks, the Knicks exist, MSG exists, from the NBA <laughs> standpoint, is to give a, give a stage to to Reggie Miller in the 90s. Now, I mean, to me, that's the, the only thing I yeah. thought about. I, I didn't think about Carmelo Anthony's five years in the Knicks or anything. It's a... Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Trey Young. I mean, he comes from. I think. I mean, he comes from a basketball family. He like totally knows this stuff. And to his credit, I could not hate anybody more. But to his credit, because oh, really? um, <laughs> the fouls, because um, the fouls and the hair, it, yeah. whatever. Um, the hair is the terrible. hair is yeah. not his fault. In a, who knows? I don't know what that guy he has does. Very, Maybe he has it very thin fault. hair, Tammy. Okay. <laughs> Um, he's like 21 he, 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 he's in a, in a lineage of players who like like to play in MSG because they want to be the villain there like doing all that stuff was such a callback to Reggie right. and such a like it was all about you know playing this role which from a very far like bird's eye view I can I can appreciate yeah. um, but I just <laughs> appreciate um, the motif Wait, so you think he was doing it intentional? Oh, for sure. You were like, he was like, before the game, he was like, all right, 
if I go off tonight, I'm just going to milk the I'm whole gonna thing. Shush. I'm going to yell yes. at Spike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's, so yeah. he's a showman. He, he is like really an entertainer. Believe- and if, if we're, yeah. Do I believe what? Do you, do you believe that MSG is like a special place to play basketball? I've only gone to one game there, so I can't. I don't really remember. But uh, everyone says like playing basketball at MSG is different than every other arena in, in the world. And blah, blah. I don't you know if I get it. Um, do, you, do you get it? I don't know. I mean, it, if either of you I have think, been to the games there. Yeah, I have. I think it is. You know, I. it's a weird. First of all, the court is lit. In a very, like, like theater, specific right. way. Yeah, like, because they do, like, you know, when I was growing up, every other commercial, if you were up late, like, listening to, watching, like, Beavis, but- Beavis and Butthead or whatever, every other commercial would be, like, Billy Joel at MSG. And it would, like, be, like, you know, they'd play, like, half a song, and it was all about, like, the other things you could do at MSG. So it's, like, very much got this, like, <laughs> rock stadium ethos. Like, it's lit in a certain way, and the seats... Uh, the the court side seats are up close, but then there is like a sort of recession, and like they go back in this very gradated way, in which like the court seems like this island a little bit, um, and so like I think when you're on the I've heard people talk about that when you're on the court, it's almost like it was in the bubble. Hmm. It's not like you're seeing the people behind the 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 rim, the backboard, like you would in other places. It's like because of the lighting effect, it's like when you're up on a stage and you don't, they can see you, but you can't see them. It's just like black behind it. So it creates this sort of like black box, like deprivation chamber thing. But then you look up and you can see all the people as you're going back and forth. But when you're on those, those lateral ways, it's like, you're kind of, it's like, so this, I think from what I've like, just like listening to people talk about why they like playing there. It's like on one hand, this like total like focus. And on the other hand, like this sort of carnival atmosphere. And if you like that, yeah, I, I wow. think so. Yeah, I think it's different. I mean, I've been to a lot of NBA arenas now, and it is different. You know, like the fans are really good, and I don't know, the players buy into all this sort of stuff, right? Like basketball was born here, and um, yeah, you know, this is where it was perfected, and and this is the biggest city in America. It's the only important <laughs> city in America. Of course, they buy into that sort of stuff. Um, I don't know, and some of the other places are. You know, pretty forgettable. I don't know. I've been to, I don't know how many of the NBA arenas, but like Staples Center is just like a donut in the middle of the parking lot, basically. It sucks, you know? But they like Staples um, for Lakers no, games, like, the way that Vincent is describing MSG, right? Like a theater with, no? No, not really. I mean, it's pretty, but I mean, it, the atmosphere sucks at Lakers games, you know, like yeah. compared to Madison Square Garden. Like the Nets arena Barclays is awful. I mean, it's like a graveyard, you know. It's and weird. Yeah. Portland's okay, I guess, but it's like it's also like kind of just a donut in the middle of next to the river. I don't know. It's it it and it's always it always seems dusty in there for some. I, don't, I have no idea why, but it yeah. just like seems dirty. So for the seven um, games, do they split home court? Yeah. Even now with the COVID yeah. and everything. Okay. Yeah. So they'll go yeah. to Atlanta um, for games. Three, three and, and four. four but like i mean do you like so yeah my question is, do you hate do you, tra- do you hate trey young yeah and i'm like, happy it, hate. and part of my enjoyment of it is just like because you know i haven't had any reason because there have been no i haven't had a reason to hate an nba player in a long time it's great 
Um, and yeah. you know, like yeah. I say, from far away, he's it's like part of like villain. yeah, he's a cast on some you know cast member on a TV show. Um, but yeah, it's like for now, I can just like you know, I I just wish somebody had like you know given him just a little bit of a hard vowel or something. You know, that's something I want to <laughs> I want to see. You know, yeah, um, I felt that way too. It's like, I also how? think part of it is because he's like like. It's the same thing with Reggie, where you can't really hate Michael Jordan because you're just like, okay, Michael Jordan has beaten us all these times, but Michael Jordan is clearly an amazing player. Right. You know, and Reggie Miller, you're just like, Reggie Miller sucks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just like, he's not even better than Alan Houston. And then and then that's how I feel with, like, Trey Young, where just like yesterday, I was like, this guy sucks. You yeah. know, he's not yeah. even that good. Yeah. And then that makes you hate him more. <laughs> um, I don't hate Trey Young, but that's how I felt. It's just like, you're not even good, dude. Play a little defense, you know? Like, yeah. You're like fake Steph going out. And then at fake the end, Steph. of course, you're just like, okay, all right. I, my opinion of you has grown immeasurably yeah. because of what you just did. Yeah. Well, part of the hating thing is yeah. like this is exactly what oh. happens. You hate them and then you build them up like to like you appreciate the fullness of their talents. And therefore, once you beat them, you can really enjoy it. You know, it's like mm. he's great. Yeah. He sucks. Or and now if they beat. fail in some other way. Yeah. You can laugh mm-hmm. at them. Yeah. Vincent, yeah. you said earlier that you think that we've all – Everyone now wants to live in a post-LeBron NBA. Do you, do you really think that most people want to stop making everything all about LeBron and rings? Because I, I do as well, but if yeah. you just pay attention to what gets the most clicks on ESPN, it's all still driven by you know one or two stars. you really feel like that's the that's the silent majority that everyone just wants to move on from this? I said that twice. <laughs> that's the name of this episode. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of Nixon lately. I, last one, we're get, the next topic's about Dinkins and Julian. Yeah, I'm t- oh. totally ready. Um, oh, man. I, oh, Dinkins. Um, I, um, I think that it's, it's always boring when only one thing like yeah. matters. And we've been on this thing with... LeBron for a long like you know yeah he's had you know when he went to Cleveland all those those three finals or whatever it was in a row against uh Golden State all that stuff um it's great but I do think that there I don't even know if it's a I think on some level there is sure like because LeBron can be annoying as a person you know he can be annoying a little bit he's you know so funny Um, these days yeah, I mean, the other day he like did this whole thing where like he got poked in the eye by Draymond yeah, Green, yeah. and he was afterward he was, oh, I saw three rims, and it's like he's so dramatic, and he's he's in some ways so good at being like a narrative hero in some ways that like sometimes you can start to just see his moves before they come. Um, he also like a little bit earlier That's they were okay. saying you know he he like tweaked his ankle, and somebody asked him about it after the game, and he was like. You know, I'll probably never be a hundred percent again in my career. Like he's just yeah, like in such so clearly, I know, I know. so clearly setting it up so that when he wins, he can be like, and I did it through you know ninety five percent. You know, he just like he's, <laughs> the moves are so telegraphed. It's he, like or he called Steph the MVP to set it up yeah. so that he would beat Steph in the next game. Yeah, or, or if he beats yep. Steph the next game, oh, he beat the real MVP. You know, I beat the I beat the real MVP. I know. Exactly. I I like that exactly. stuff with LeBron because <laughs> I feel like he's delivered on it so many times that you have to respect it. Sure. Like yeah. I guarantee, like I think, like when he was with those terrible Cavs teams, and he was scoring like fifty-two points every night, 
and he was just like, I don't have any help. You know, it's, yeah. it's like you just watch it. It actually is a Mon Shumpert missing every single jump shot. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a Mon Shumpert make a jump shot in oh, his man. life. And like he's played a lot of <laughs> NBA basketball. I liked him when he but, was like, in the Knicks, but yeah, it's true. He didn't help LeBron. That was so cool. That was like kind of the most inspirational basketball I've ever seen played individually. It's true. And he like was able to deliver on it in this amazing way. And uh, as long as it's that, then I think it's fine. I don't know. My thing with LeBron has always just been that I think that, like, he actually gets too little credit for what he does on the court, and he gets too much credit for what he does off the court, basically. True. You know, like, the it's stuff that is, like, off the court where you're just like, yeah. oh, my God, this again. Like, you know, there was that thing in the bubble where he was, like, carrying around the copy of the autobiography of Malcolm X yeah. everywhere. And it was always and on. And then finally somebody asked. <laughs> Somebody really? finally asked him about it and here. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I love this. He, he, like what he had to say about it. He was like, well, you know, um, he was a very intelligent man and he really fought for the Negroes. <laughs> that's what, that's a word that he used because it was back. <laughs> that's what he said, really? And I was like, wow. Yeah. It's like, oh you God. definitely have not read this didn't read, didn't read the book. Every time he was, every time he, w- he would be like on an exercise bike, and every time the book would be on like yeah, page yeah. two, it was like it was open like as little as it could be. It's like, dude, you've been reading this book for a week, yeah. a lot of days. It was a lot of posts. It was several posts where he was carrying around. But this is also one of his other things because, like, he says, like, you know, I go into like playoff mode, and like right. he's not online, and suddenly, like one year, he read like mm-hmm. the Hunger yes, Games. Exactly. It was like I'm reading, <laughs> and during the playoffs is when I feed my mind. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like Harry Potter. Out of here, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, is there something in like it's sports fandom or NBA fandom specifically that makes people want to not have like a hero last too long? Because Andy shared with me this podcast clip with that guy Windhurst who got in a fight oh about, like, whether Jokic was... would be MVP. And it's like, so when is that about? Because I hear that as, like, is Jokic, like, the, the yeah, like yeah. LeBron 2.0 and people are already trying to tear him down? Or what? what's going on psychologically with this? Well, I also The wanted, problem with that. Well, also, Vince and I, I brought this up earlier. I listened to your episode um, with uh, Arjun and Kevin. Oh, yeah. On Diversity Pod, where they asked mm-hmm. you, what is the NBA going to do? When Luca and Jokic are like the two, that's right, the two stars. <laughs> Forgot that, about that. I think two years from now, if you predict who are gonna be like MVP candidates, you would probably put Luca and Jokic as top three, um, most probable. Uh, not the, Zion, not Zion believe, yeah. in the future, you mean? <laughs> Just like in, I mean, they would they'd be up there, and I think that's you know. I think that's part of what was going on with Windhorst is like, yeah, I think right. a lot of people are just like, what is this Jokic thing? Mm. You're just giving him credit for blah, 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 blah reason. Um, and I, I think, I mean, I think it is totally like on some level racialized um, and strange. Mm. But I, that conversation also happened because Brian Windhorst um, is a journalist because of LeBron James. Yeah. He has his job and his livelihood uh, and everything because okay. he like was has been covering LeBron James since... He, the kid was in high school and so like he just like yeah. he was making he this to Miami yeah he was making this weird argument of like um, yeah maybe Jokic is winning but not by that much you're telling me LeBron's getting no votes he's like there's a whole contingent of the media that just is there to like argue but like but what if LeBron though what about LeBron I, I do so find weird. that I do think that there's part of this argument conversation that's pretty disingenuous though where it's like the sort of euro stands you know like the luca and Jokic stands think that everyone is backwards and doesn't understand how good they are yeah you know like and that it's somehow and like, i don't know that feels that's like annoying. 
like kind of like oh well we like we it's like i know more about advanced stats than most of these people making this argument you know like i understand how good these guys are but neither of them have won anything yeah. you know they're both pretty young in their careers sure they'll be good you know but Giannis is also really good right like Giannis won two mvps and like it's not like there is not other good players in the league it's just interesting that it's not even just the european ones it's the two white guys the two white europeans that people get the most mad about saying they're not respected enough you know and yeah. i find yeah, that I to see. be very strange because if you're talking about like the european takeover it already happened the last two mvps went to some yeah. dude from greece you know like right. and like the this year's one is going to go for to Jokic and luca might win next year maybe i don't know probably uh, if I had to bet on one person. And so then you're going to have like this five-year yeah. run or so where a European person wins the MVP. But it wasn't a question the two years before because it was a black European player, right. you know? And now it's like, oh, well, you know, like, is this time for the Euro takeover? It's like, what about the dude from fucking Greece? <laughs> <laughs> like, was the, like, by far the best yeah. player in the league for the last two years? Yeah, yeah it's, it's just a weird conversation. Um and I find myself getting very annoyed about it because, uh, and I also hate Luca because, you know, he just looks like this, like, fat, smirking kid all the time. Yeah. Just, he's like, also always uh, talking to the refs. That's annoying. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's, he's like, he's kind of like Blake Griffin type of energy. Ugh. And yes, he's really good, but I don't know. I, I just prefer, I'm a big LeBron fan, and so I just don't. I mean, I, I, I find LeBron to be ridiculous, but I don't want the LeBron era to end. I think most people don't want the LeBron era no. to end. He's by far, like, if you if you want to see, like, the NBA has this huge ratings problem, as you pointed out. Yeah. Season, right? It's very it's serious. Real. Still. And, um, okay. Right, Still. Yes. And I think and at this point, you, can, expl- yeah, you can't say it's about the pandemic right, anymore. It's It's something else. I yeah. see. Or, like, technology, because, like, you know, obviously... Everyone's going to lose a little bit because of people are mm-hmm. watching on streams, people are watching in different ways, they're using social media to watch it, et cetera, et cetera. But the NBA's dip is mm-hmm. much bigger than all the other sports, which presumably have the same problems, right? And so, like, maybe baseball is a bad comp because most baseball fans are just diehard baseball fans and they watch their local team on the local cable network. But, you know, compared to the NFL, compared to even hockey, whatever, you know, the NBA has had this sort of strange drop. And... I think once LeBron's gone, it's going to be like game over for the NBA. I don't, I don't think that these European players yeah. are going to be are particularly popular, and um, you know it's a real problem for the league. Uh, I don't really care if the league is healthy or not healthy. I'll you know, whatever you know, uh, I'll still watch. But certainly, yeah. the heyday of like what it seemed like ten years ago was going to happen with it was actually just all LeBron. Yeah, I think right. Um, and LeBron so and the Warriors. You can't replace but, yeah. him with because LeBron and then the Warriors, right? And then it was LeBron versus the Warriors was a compelling storyline. And now it's just going to be like, oh yeah, Luka Doncic yeah. and a guy from playing on Denver and a guy in Dallas are going to be playing each other. And then people are like, well, it doesn't matter anymore because player uh, fans follow players, not teams. And it's not really true. Not sure. Yeah. It's true because look some, what happened yeah. with the Knicks with a bunch of like C pluses and Julius Randle. You know, it's like the most excited people have been. Yeah, like if the Knicks are good, it's a big deal. You know, when the Knicks aren't bad, then yes, Oklahoma. When, when the Knicks are bad, then like Oklahoma City can like be a big NBA thing. But it's not even the same scale. Yeah, same thing with the Lakers, right? Yeah. 
So I don't know. I think it's going to be, I think they're in a yeah. lot of trouble hmm. when LeBron leaves. I mean, they have between oh. like, so there's Luka, there's Jokic, there's Giannis, there's Embiid. These are like the big stars and they're all from outside the U.S. And yeah, there's not really a big following for them. And it's, I think the it's, savior is LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball is who we need to, yeah, to no, get I'm amazing. Serious. And if he, he is, gets amazing like he should, because when he plays, I just like go into fits of rapture. Um, <laughs> if he gets amazing, then we're saved. If not, then, you know. Do you think he's actually going to be an MVP one day? I think it's supposed to be like a, I, I don't a good all-star maybe. What's his, what's his deal? Where is he? Lamelo Ball is um, one of the one of the Ball brothers. You might have heard of this guy, yeah. uh, Lavar Ball, who's like this obnoxious yeah, dad, dad who like right. created this yeah. brand called BBB that. Baller Brand, uh, Big Baller <laughs> Brand. And um, as far as I can tell, at least Lonzo is kind of estranged from him because oh, really? there were some weird oh, yeah. business things that happened. Right, yeah. And no. but um, and and I think it, to your to the racialization point, you know, especially like the the father has like you know embodies although like he's obviously an amazing basketball coach because two of his sons are were top three picks in the NBA draft and the other one plays in the G League and like um he's obviously done some amazing things uh with his sons but embodies some tropes um and Lamelo, I think of all the brothers like just like he's a goofy dude and he talks a lot of shit and mm. um I don't know if you ever remember that like he got I love him by the way, he got into this argument with Jason Whitlock, the crazy at this point, yeah. uh, right winger, yeah. who was once yeah. the best columnist ever in the uh, ever to to write a column because he would just say the I used most to like him, yeah, bonkers things. Oh, wow. And um, uh, but he got into an argument with him when Whitlock was still on Fox News, and somebody told him, you know, here's what Jason Whitlock said about you this morning on X show, and he said, Jason Whitlock is a is a big guy, big fella. And he says, I don't want to hear anything about Jason Whitlock if it's not about snacks. You know, he just like has, you know, he, he, he makes jokes on people. He's like, whatever. And I, I, I thought that a lot of the response to him had weird undertones, overtones, whatever. Um, and LaMelo's like this, too, like more than Lonzo. Right. He like has, you know, a, like a really swaggy haircut and he like plays in a flashy way. And before before he came. Right. I always thought he was going to be amazing before he came into the league he played in this like um australian league that wasn't very competitive and it was a bunch of like it felt like we were in the 90s like people being like oh this kid doesn't work all he cares about is being flashy and being a star and right, he's a right, prima right. donna like, and he's like showing his car off oh, on wow. instagram yeah and yeah, it's like yeah. it was just so it, it felt to me so throwback and of course he gets through the league and he's amazing and everybody's like oh yeah sorry i did that <laughs> Sorry, that was Lamelo's car drag racing. Path. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he, uh, yeah, I was, I, I, I bought into it because uh, I heard Bill Simmons's podcast, and he said that his son Ben's favorite player is Lamelo Ball. Yeah, and I was like, oh, Lamelo is really going to be the big star of the mm. next ten years because, like, yeah. if ten-year-old kids who love basketball who live in Los Angeles who like collect basketball cards and you know if those kids are into LaMelo then LaMelo must it's kind of like how like the kids before like the the two people before that obviously Steph right was like the one that all the kids loved and then Kyrie and now if it's LaMelo then I think LaMelo is going to be like the big star of the NBA as long as he's okay you know yeah like it and okay meaning like as long as he gets to what the projection of 
like the 50th percentile of the projection of what people think based on his first year, which would be like a multi-time all-star and like one of the best players in the league. I don't know. I, I think LaMelo will be there, but yeah. he's not really – unless he's making it to the finals all the time, like it's just not, it's not the, same the same thing. It's, you know? And nobody is going to be able to like reliably make the finals like LeBron did for like however many years in a row. Like ridiculously, it's just hard to do. But I, I do think that this like is part of – the New York, uh, the New, the the New Yorker, uh, not the New Yorker's problems with labor, but I guess they have those too. Um, the um, <laughs> the the MBA's labor. Let's talk yeah. more about. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, the, the MBA's <laughs> the the MBA's labor problems. You know, we of course had the the spectacle of the strike um, last season, which was during the uprisings and all that, which was really affecting and everything. Um, but the dynamics were already kind of there if, if you look at that. Like the people that were kind of leading that effort and were kind of most um, willing to push it toward its like most whatever striking implications were mostly like middle of the road players who weren't as good as LeBron. And LeBron mm, yeah. was sort of much right. more on the owner side of that equation. Right. Um, and it's a big problem that, you know, they, they always are in a bad contract with, with the league and its owners, it seems to me. Um, and it's partially because those stars who have different interests than the rest of the league um, and know how valuable they are because the NBA only thrives insofar as, as it has like these, you know, generational uh, stars, um, they have a big problem with that. And I think like this corresponds with that. Like I, I think as the labor has become as the labor as the um, as the players association, their, their union has become more of a like front street issue. Um, I think that might be tied to some anxieties about like how do we split up this pie post LeBron? How do we, you know, famously like it's the union is run by like it's always like yeah. Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony and like Chris Paul. The, the biggest yeah. stars, you know, and they don't always seem to negotiate on behalf like in the best instance of a guy who is like whatever the seventh or eighth man on you know yeah they're basically uh they're. I, Dominic Foxworth has talked about this, you know, and Dominic is a, you know, guy on ESPN. He's very smart. He used to be in the, he used to be, I think, one of the heads of the NFL union. Yeah, he was, yeah, he's really good. Uh, playing in the NFL, and then he went to the NBA Players Union to work as like a union guy after he retired. And, um, you know, he 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 said that he thinks that the NBA Players Union is basically too in bed with the owners because the leadership are the superstars yeah right and they don't look after any of the rank and file and yeah like i don't know if can you imagine doing like a writer's union where the you know like it was like michael lewis and malcolm gladwell were like, <laughs> representing, were like representing us it would be crazy you know <laughs> nothing against malcolm gladwell and, and michael lewis you know but like i would think that they would think you know like maybe but you know i have a bit of a different situation than like you know the person <laughs> yeah. making a twenty thousand dollar book book in advance yeah um and like writing out articles for 50 cents a word um maybe it shouldn't be about me but that's basically the way that the nba labor situation is set up it's like yeah. the superstars yeah. are the heads of the union and you know they cut pretty bad before deals. that it was um, Derek fisher in charge and they talked about how that was famously who was just like a you know a mediocre player and and how like that whole setup was led to you know like side hustles and corruption and that and it was good that chris paul and lebron took over because it meant like 
you know, those with the most power would actually be fighting for the interests of all the other players. So, um, you know, that they, they would, they, they would say like, it's actually good that the most powerful people are in charge because otherwise, like if it's a mediocre player, then they would get run over and steamrolled by the ownership or something like that. Right. Who, who feel like they're beholden to the owners as their employers anyway. But don't you think that's like classic union busting technique, basically saying like you need to hire someone in management to run the union because you're all powerless I th- against. I think like, they got their best contract the, the first time, whatever, 2010 or whatever, 2011 was. Right. But that coincided with like a huge surge sure, of interest yeah. in the league. So maybe in hindsight, right? that's so, what it was. Like, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I'm not sure that's it's so causative, but. Certainly around the, you know, what happened in the bubble with the, right, that was a bad look. With, the, with the players striking, you know, that was basically LeBron right. called Obama. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Man. But I, th- I hope that somebody writes like an amazing unauthorized book on that. The whole book. Yeah. yeah. Um, like the 48 hours. Like I don't want like, I don't want like 10,000 words from uh, a magazine, you know, it should be the like Sports Illustrated yeah. or whatever down the line. I want like a book that's like the dishiest, <laughs> trashiest, perhaps seventy percent apocryphal version <laughs> that, that like fulfills all of my worst, all of my worst suspicions. Like I want to read that book. You know? Future like LeBron, future U.S. President Jalen Brown should write that book. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Jalen Brown seems so mad about what had happened. Oh, he did. There, he so, was really know? mad. And disillusioned, yeah. Yeah, because he's yeah, like, you know, really famously an N plus one reader. He's, you know, he, Is he really? He knows what was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, at one point, N plus one like yeah. tweeted at him like, would you like a lifetime subscription? It was like a their, their best moment, really, in my book. <laughs> wow. Berkeley Do you guys know if the foreign players are ever active in the union? Because they're all on like P1 visas or something, right? I mean, they're not. That's a good question. That's a great question. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I can't think I of any know. leadership that was foreign. Yeah. Or any of them making a statement about it. Yeah, but that's interesting, so vulnerable, too. Because they're actually, you know? Yeah, and they're also the superstars yeah, now, so right? As, and so, like... Uh, like, that's oh, the thing. All, the, all these yeah. foreign superstars, except for Embiid, are very, like, not vocal. And are very, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, understandably yeah. feel kind of yeah. uncomfortable. It's hard to... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Know. Some of them don't, you know, one of, sometimes it's, like, as basic as they don't speak English that yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I remember I remember Dirk was quiet for like five years. He didn't talk that much at all. And then yeah. suddenly he just had like a slightly black sounding accent and yeah. was talking like was just like, you know, he kind of was talking all the time. And I was like, oh, wow. Like he's just, you know, he's just yeah. been hanging out with guys in the locker room. And now he's, you know, yeah. I wonder if that'll happen. Wow. But also, so far, these foreign players, yeah. as far as we know, like are, are into like the one franchise for your life model, like Luca. We'll see with Luca, but like so far, like Giannis, Jokic, right? And mm-hmm. so maybe what also what the next generation represents is like a reversal of the LeBronification, the decisionification of the NBA that has happened over the last decade. And I guess we'll see, but like that's don't you think that they're extent they just signed the extensions because the NBA basically right. made the labor situation so that you can only make the max amount of money if you oh, really that original team yeah it's it's, it's in your best interest to stay force their way yeah. out I really sh- it's I like what you do after like, seven years okay yeah i was also curious if like the p1 was attached to their particular employer and if it was like really difficult to switch over to another team no that's fine yeah no, i don't mm-hmm. i don't think so yeah even when players have moved from 
Toronto to, mm -hmm. you know, from Canada to the United States. I can't remember a single time it's been mm -hmm. a problem. I'm sure they um, make all kinds of exceptions players, for these guys. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, actually I've never read anything have, about that. They have like an NBA yeah. liaison or yeah. something like that. Is there? Yeah, is there a Serbian like style of play? Because um, yeah. Andy showed me a bunch of these Jokic videos, and like, is that like baseball passing thing okay? It just seems really insane. <laughs> there, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's a style of play. I mean. I've heard things about the Serb, like every they always say that every time like the Olympics come out, come around, like you know the Serbs. Yeah. Are, oh really? You know, it's like <laughs> it's the most like yeah, soft they're... power politics thing in the world when you like That's listen hilarious. to the Olympics. Okay. It's like all of a sudden it's just like a race science. Right. Like yeah. the Serbs, notorious, <laughs> notorious passers. Um, the theory is they play water polo in Serbia, but someone That's asked what it looks like. Someone asked Jokic yeah. if is it because of their water polo background. He was like, I didn't play that much, <laughs> but they they just run. They, yeah, he's probably like, what's it's water It's so reductive. Polo? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> they really run. No, it is. It's it. It basically it really is like soft race mm -hmm. science when it comes to these. You know, because it's like based they, and it's also based in like some sort of weird memory of uh of like the Balkan conflict or something <laughs> like that because they're like like they want to all believe that they like they're all like you know protagonists in like an Alexander Heyman uh <laughs> you know um zombie zombie novel or something like that where these like yeah. kind of like silent types who would be played by like uh you know i don't know like a swarthier jason statham or something like that <laughs> and then they say like and but it's never true mm -hmm. you know okay. like they they're like oh man they're playing lithuania you know and this is a u.s team and they're like lithuania is gonna is gonna really be rough and tumble and they're just like the u.s uh. like, 35 <laughs> and like, the, like by halftime like the lithuanian team's like Thank you for sharing the court with us. You know? <laughs> it, I hate that shit. Like it's like oh, it's like Spain. They're like you know, the sp right, or right. and the Argentines. They were both saying with Spain and Argentina. They're like oh, but they play for love of oh country. That's and, so know, funny. They play for okay. pride. This is like their World Cup, and just like no, it's Whatever. not. Like these dudes have make just as much money as the NBA. Yeah, teams, half of them are in the NBA. Know? The other guys play on these other teams. Like come on. <laughs> right right like nobody um and then when the u.s loses they it turns into like super you know i don't know remember when the team with iverson lost and um i remember i was in four right wasn't that my when they won the bronze my favorite player yeah, uh, yeah, stefan marbury was, was on that team too and they were like oh my god they were so like that was the beginning that was the first time i ever heard of like yeah. people being like these spoiled american players right, AAU right. you and da 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 <laughs> and it was like a reverse thing of like and 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 they play you know here in america meaning like black people um they play this you know selfish style of one-on-one -on -one, whereas the europeans learn all the different skills and they like they can all shoot right. dribble and pass Finals. like that was i think that team really started a lot of those tropes yeah Hmm. Okay. Right. They really well. Yeah. And they like because I remember I was in a cabin. Not to go all like a uh, Paul Friedman on you, but like I was in a cabin. Is he the one that does the, ca like, the cab stories? For Thomas Friedman. Friedman. Thomas Friedman. Friedman. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, not to go all Thomas Friedman on you. Um, I was in this cabin Vegas, and it was on, uh, at the time, and uh, the U.S. had just lost a game, and it was that team, and the cab driver was like you know these chucking like just <laughs> horrible and then he, this guy was like some italian american he's like i bet my italian pizza boys will beat them and i was like i don't think so man. <laughs> you know? it's like they're not that bad but yeah that whole conversation was like basically that europe and argentina which you know these people are so dumb and racist that they think argentina is like in europe right, yeah. you know? and so they think that like 
Like, they basically conflate the two, which, you know, I don't know. I guess there's some reason to do that when, like, Argentina's fourth best player is named Walter Hermann or something <laughs> like that, right? But, like, um, they will have these, uh, yeah, the, it just was this idea that the European player is, like, advanced uh, intellectually, did not grow up in a corrupted, sort of, like, broken-down mm. system that only rewards individualism and, uh, you know, will play will be tougher than the U.S. player, which was actually a reversal of the original um, thought, which was that all the European players were soft, right? And then it sort of switched over, and I don't know. It's yeah. uh, It was lame. and Totally sucks, yeah. Um, it still kind of exists no, today. No, it's definitely around, yeah. But it only exists only for the white European mm. players. Yeah. You know, like uh, there's a lot of black European players in the, yeah. and they just get coded as black Americans. Um, the white European players don't like that. Nobody says like Dennis Schroeder is like, you know, like exuding right. like the f- German, like confidence <laughs> German organization. Yeah. Or like yeah. Clint Capella, right. classically Swiss, that Clint Capella. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Swiss exactly. sophistication. A real analytic mind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's sort of like a global diplomat, but you know, for basketball. <laughs> no. Um, all right, Vincent, you might do this. You might break Wa's record. All right, let's talk about. Um, let's talk I'm about happy to. Theater. I'm happy to be edited too. You know, I, I don't mind. You know. No, 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 no. We don't do that here. Um, the, Edit. We. <laughs> Vincent, how long have you been the theater critic? It's been like been about a year and a half or something. I have like that. been one of the two theater critics for. Yeah, you and Alex. Alex you and my, Alex Schwartz are the two. One of my very critics. favorite colleagues, Alex Schwartz, is uh, our other. Um, theater critic critic and we do basically 50 50 the reviews um i think it's it's hard to remember it's i think it's uh, exactly it's like about two years um hilton alls our our predecessor was off um working on a project in the fall of 2018 i believe and so a couple of us were kind of filling in for him in that fall and then we kind of that arrangement became official in around this time, I guess, 2019. Was, was it nerve wracking to fill in for Hilton? It's like, you know, it's one of my legends. Yeah. A legend. One of my very favorite writers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just amazing. Um, but also like, you know, a very different writer for me. So like, that's mm-hmm. the first thing it's like, you are just not going to do it like that. Right. You just have to find your own way to, to right. be good at it. Um, which involves a lot of reading. I like to, you know, I still like, we'll just go into the, um, the archives part of the website is pretty good, I think. And I like, we'll go back and read some of his older, way older stuff or like old John Lahr pieces or, you know, Kenneth yeah. Tynan. Like, I like to like just read old ones, see how people have organized the space. Um, of course, you know, the one of the features of looking back at any magazine journalism is like, the word count just goes down and down. So on some level, that's not as helpful. Yeah. You know, thinking about structure and stuff like that. But um, yeah, you, you kind of try to see where it's been and then just, I don't know, a column is so much about voice. And like, so it is kind of like mm-hmm. this odd experience of like learning to just sound like yourself, right? Hmm. Yeah, is it? I mean, I don't know. It's yeah, I don't. I wrote a column for a while and it was a disaster. 
and I found it really hard to write consistently about the same thing. Are you talking about the um, the sports I, for the Times Magazine? Or oh yeah, I did like a sports column for the Times Magazine. And it was it just, good. Like it, first of all, I only did it once a month, but it felt like I did it every <laughs> single day. You know? It's just like oh my god. Um, and then uh, I never. I don't know. It was. I think that maybe if I had had. You know, I, I guess one of the nice things about being a theater critic is that you have something. It's not like you have to choose the topic, right? Like, yeah, you can choose between a few things, but like you are going to be writing about a play. You're going to be writing about a thing. Time. Like, and if the, the the play is good, I mean, sorry, if the if the column's good, it will be about a topic. But at least the topic will right. have had its genesis in thinking about these objects right. in front of you, right. and then you make that thematic in some way. Um, but it's not the yeah, it's not the same as being like, hmm, maybe I'll write about the MLS and make everybody mad at me, uh, like you. Did. Um, <laughs> People are still mad at me about that. I know. But Tammy, you write columns, don't you? Find it to be uh, a weird discipline, like. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't really have a knack for it either, and it's somewhat irregular and on different topics. So yeah, I. But I, I feel like for you guys as critics, like. Yeah, yeah, your voice is consistent and it's something that we as readers can feel like we come home to, you know, and I don't yeah. know. I don't feel like I do that well. And yeah, I'm curious about like what that's been for you to like kind of properly modulate your style and your voice through this period where theater going is really different. I mean, you know, I'm sure the the critical activity was very similar, but but was that a challenge for yeah. you? It was it was just weird. I mean. I'm proud of some of the stuff I wrote at the beginning of the pandemic because there was truly nothing. And I just like decided I was just going to like read a bunch of like plays, like some of which had never been produced and I was just going to write about them. And so in some ways it was a lot more like literary criticism than it was because I was, it was mostly, it was like stuff that I was reading and it wasn't about a production and I didn't have to worry about like whatever, like to Mm -hmm. describe blocking or whatever you know it's just like all about the stuff on the page but um it was like a good moment for me to like stop and think about like what i actually care about what i think um theater is like about or at least is most saliently about right now and like the world that we live in and mm-hmm. um and also have time for it to become i like what you said that thing that people come back to like hopefully it's like a kind of vehicle right where it's like i'm gonna talk about a play here and maybe another play, but I'm also just going to be talk. It's going to be me talking. And if you like that, that's why you yeah. read it. You don't have to see, you know, if you don't have to see the thing. And I, I can, I think I, that can be a struggle for me because I'm also, I, I kind of, I don't know. I worry about like, you know, structure and making it like a, a nice, like a tightly kind of formalized thing, which kind of, I think in some ways makes it very like, I don't know. It's kind of wound up in the way that I'm wound up a little anxious. And like, so like that was a time for me to kind of loosen up and just be talking in a way that like, um, sometimes can scare me as a writer. So, mm. yeah. Uh, and then, so, and then there were waves of it. And then there was like a bunch of like zoom reading kind of things, you know, which was like, or like lots of different right. attempts at streaming live or not live theater, which was like, you know, hard because you know it just aesthetically it took a while to catch up to itself like and some of it wasn't good but some of everything isn't good and so it was like how to write about that (laughs) and then some things that were really really made for with all these constraints in mind some really 
great mm. experiments that were like really exciting to think about. And now it's like, okay, how do you write about coming back out? So it's like, one of the things I'm thinking about, a lot about is like just public space and like, you know, a lot of things that yeah. I saw, I've seen recently is like, we're in this alley or we're on the side of this building on 85 Broad Street or like this like ugly building that you walk past all the time, like next to Stone Street. Like, what if we do something under there? Um, and so it's like, hmm, like that's something that like is giving me something to think about that's not exactly one play itself, but kind of these other themes that I can like be thinking about. Yeah. Uh, that would be, I mean, was any, did anything good come out of the Zoom art <laughs> era? <laughs> Andy, did you ever see anything good that was like, you know, a Zoom thing? I don't know. I didn't see anything. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if we had another year with it, it might have been okay. But like, yeah. you know, like they made that sh- television show and they did the SNL and. Um, oh, they did do SNL. I don't know. Which was I felt like yeah. so theater was like. It was like yeah. that. I would point yeah, you to um, like, it was, one. Uh, this one theater group, they have a play out now. It's called. Um, uh, this American Housewife. It's like a thing about the. Um, the Housewives series, but they had uh, a play last year that was called Circle Jerk. It's this um, group there called Fake Friends, and they are really funny. And they like kind of it's I wouldn't even call it Zoom, but just like totally something that was made as um, digital art. So it, it kind of like looks like video art, and it kind of looks like lo-fi stuff. And it's like they have like you know they're streaming from these locations with like multiple cameras and really like Mm. really making something for this thing instead of like doing a play on zoom, which like almost never works. It's like, and now I'm in this square saying the thing, you know, like that, you know, but this was like a real, like really produced with that stuff in mind. And I think they're the ones that really made something that, or thought about this digital thing in a way that will have implications even after, we're mostly going to plays live. I think people will still be like thinking about that. Mm, that's interesting. What yeah. What's it like now? I mean, do you have to, do they, I went to an Oakland A's game <laughs> and they zip tied like most of the seats. Now this was ridiculous because, you know, even during like non-pandemic times, knowing there's not enough, Oh. It's just like whose job is it to zip tie all these <laughs> things? It's so unnecessary. <laughs> it wasn't gonna be um, sold nobody's out. Nobody's yeah. here. But uh, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like yeah. it's part um, of it's part of what, this. What, what's it like now? Yeah, it's like it's like everything. There, there. It's I always find it fascinating how quickly like new rituals pop up, right? Like, so you, now you go to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. They like everybody's like, look at our QR code, please, and you do the thing with the phone mm-hmm. and the. Many pops yeah. up on your phone and like sometimes they'll take your temperature. So like um, the theater has, has kind of been like that too. The, the couple of things that I've seen, a handful now, I'd say probably five shows that I've seen uh, live now, everybody, ta- they, they take your temperature. They, um, you have to book usually like in sort of little pods of two or whatever and you know, so that you're kind of alone in your little area or spaced out um but one thing i saw was indoors and that was probably the most like strict with the covid stuff they were like you know we had to contact trace or whatever um but some other things have been Mm -hmm. outside and i think for 
over the summer, because like the thing is that Broadway's coming back, and of course this is like part of the, one of the big things. Like whenever they say New York is opening up, the you know Cuomo's right. like and Broadway too. You know, broad. It's like it, this Broadway is like in some ways this like a metonym for the New York economy. So yeah, totally, <laughs> um, broad, Broadway's right, coming right. back in in September. But I think until then, a lot of stuff you're gonna see will be like outside. There's like I was just I just signed up, or circled on my like calendar today like uh, a play that's being produced in the Brooklyn Botanical Garden and like all these kinds of things oh, wow. which is interesting because like you know we've had a lot of talk most recently last year but also you know kind of historically about public statuary and public art and monuments yeah. and things like that and so this is another kind of way to reinscribe public space in the city like now we're just going to like give this area over to this thing that's happening in a way that like sometimes you'll be walking past like a weird concert or street musicians in New York. And now that's just like yesterday I was like looking at and while I was in an audience looking at people just like walk past, look in and it's just like this very dramatic play is happening and they're like, Oh, that's <laughs> nice. And then go like get a beer or whatever. <laughs> um, and that's actually, I like that. And I, and, and I hope that, you know, yeah, that's something that sticks around because you know, I hope that stays. That yeah. would be cool. I think I would have, um, there's so many spaces in New York City where it should be like that and it's not like, you know, I used to live across the street from the Brooklyn Museum. Yeah. And like that area, like it should be used at all times by something like that. But it hardly ever is. Yeah. Right. Like the only like I don't even know what's the, like uh, the steps, for example, leading up to the, you know, like everything like that is sort of set up like an amphitheater. And basically all it is is I did this too, so I am not excuse you know, I'm not impugning the people who do this, but it's people with little kids basically screaming, you know, <laughs> coming back from the farmer's market. Yeah. And so you just have this morass of little children running around, which I guess is a use of a space, but I don't know, like there's just so much there's so many spaces like that in New York and the city would feel more alive. I don't know. I have not been back to New York since I moved out of there and December of 2019. Yeah. But like, it is it outdoor dining thing? I don't, Tammy, you can answer as well. Like, you know, is the outdoor dining thing, like, does it actually, it, is it what people say it is? Does it make the f- city feel like more hospitable and less carry and whatever? I've definitely partaken in my share of <laughs> the sort of street <laughs> dining. Yeah. And yeah, I think it feels pretty good. I mean, I was actually thinking about it when I was reading your most recent piece, Vincent, because, um, you talk about watching this play zoetrope like through um and maybe you could describe it for the listeners but like through basically a parked trailer where you kind of have like each you know theater goer kind of have their own engagement with the piece through the window of the trailer and um yeah. i think that lot is like very close to where i live and where i've been eating outdoors so like i i do have this there is a kind of sense where like all this stuff like art making and eating and like production creative production of different sorts is like kind of swirling around us like in the fair weather moments of the pandemic that has been really nice yeah it's a, it's a weird thing like yeah this thing the play is happening. The play is set in an apartment, and it's the apartment is set up inside this um, small trailer, like you know, uh, up on a platform in the middle of this like you know empty lot. Um, and you're kind of got a hood over your back, and there's some buttons that you can press because <laughs> there's a sort of choose your own adventure thing happening. But like you're also just hearing, like I was just hearing the whole time somebody just playing as people do like playing gospel music like obnoxiously loud behind me and it's like that was just part of it you know um 
And <laughs> I kind of loved that. But that, I mean, that was one of the big opportunities. If you think about whatever opportunity is not the right word, but one of the things of the pandemic is like all these the streets were shut down either for to, for sort of yeah. promenade reasons or for um and i think it's good that space is up for grabs again in new york it's like should all of it just be parking should all of it just be yeah. weirdly private but with mm-hmm. no real use like mm-hmm. can this be put to more some some streets now i was going up notion the other day in a car and it looked like paris like just like people like looking out at the street, like you're just wow. like seeing all these. Fa- it just like, you know, it, I, I think it's a, I think it's good. And I, you know, to go back to what we're talking about a little bit, like I would love to hear these people who want to be mayor uh, engage with that. Like, you know, do we need to <laughs> yeah. potentially close off like a lot more streets to cars, like based on the successes of some of the things that we've seen, like that would be great because it does there is a different feeling and last summer we got it i don't know like last summer was great i thought in the city like after there was this weird moment because like it was in the one of the sort of covid cases had gone way down and we were kind of feeling a little bit better and like we we're like maybe everything right, will be right, better yeah, by right. august and like that's not true yeah. but it, it, it just like was this kind of oasis in the middle right. of all the everything and people were <laughs> out all the time like yeah. At the beach and at the park, and you know, little did we know that we were not close to done. But um, I'm, I think this is going to be yeah. good New York. Does a few- okay. Well, thank you for listening to our show, and uh, I don't know. You can <laughs> support the show at TTSG. I'm sorry, Patreon.com/TTSGPod, or you can subscribe to our newsletter and the show for five dollars a month. Or you know, there's also a free option, but you don't get a lot of the episodes and that is at goodbye.substack.com uh we do this once or twice a week and thank you for listening vincent thanks for coming on thanks for having me thanks thanks